Well, hello, church. As we are gathered here together today, as we are uh, in each other's midst virtually, it's awesome to be here. Uh, we're going to continue to kind of walk out a process that we've sort of started over the last uh, couple of weeks. And so Kevin started us off with this kind of amazing uh, week one as we looked at this process of where we sat back and we looked at what it looks like for us to be uh, convicted and, and kind of what that would entail. It was an amazing message talking about these moments we have with the Lord where we're sort of dumbfounded and we're looking at the life of David and he has this moment where he's just overwhelmed. Uh, we kind of walked it out last week as we took it from there and we walked it into this idea of repentance and this week we will look at this idea of what it looks like for us to transition from repentance which is really us wanting more to the idea of us being reconciled or restored which is us walking in more. Uh, I've got a little bit of a, just a qualifier to start you off. If you're sitting back, this is not like your typical sermon series where each week you kind of go, okay, last week we did this and now this week we're doing this and now this week we're gonna do this and then we'll finish it up next week. The reason being, this process that we're gonna describe in about a month's worth of preaching, in many cases could take six months, a year, six years. Here in just a moment, a process for me that took several decades for the Lord to begin the process of bringing things to restoration. I wanna share a, a story of mine that is a, a little personal and it, we're gonna kinda start in some deep waters today. It's this process of, uh, of me being restored from something that's been a bit of a challenge. Uh, as a kid, I was one of those kids that had some behavioral issues. Kind of had some challenges in sitting still and it was uh, sort of difficult for me to be able to, to kind of focus in class. Uh, many of you have spent more than 10 minutes around me go, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, there was a little more kind of going on uh, under the surface. Uh, there was a reality that as I sat back, many of the teachers thought I was just willful or stubborn. What was actually going on that no one knew because I hadn't really spoken up was the fact that I had been molested when I was five years old. It was something that I never talked about, and uh, what was going on in me was actually something that counselors uh, would later identify as probably undiagnosed PTSD. And the things that were going on inside me, my inability to sit still at times, was far more than just an agitated kid who wanted to be outdoors playing. It was when things got quiet that some of the scary stuff started to surface. Again, no one knew, and so I sat there somewhat alone, but as I was sitting there, I had something incredible by my side. I had an advocate, it's my mom. She never left my side in the midst of all those difficult years. Uh, all of the classrooms that I sat in, I had an advocate who would be there for me at home telling me, it's gonna be okay, we're gonna get through this. Uh, in all of those after-school behavioral meetings where I was put on behavioral plan after behavioral plan, Rustin does good for about 10 minutes and then he start, he's just impossible to get to sit still. I had a mom who as only a parent could never left my side. It wasn't until fifth grade uh, where my mom finally found a bit of a comrade in this process. It was a gal named Kathy Mitchell sort of joined the fight for kind of seeing how we could help Rustin get through school. It was the biggest battle in my life at the time. Uh, she came and she submitted to my mom, again, just this woman who would not leave me in the midst of this difficult time. She said, you know, Rustin may be struggling with something. Uh, why don't we go ahead and see if maybe some of the medications uh, for ADD could be helpful? So I kind of willingly went on Ritalin, something that was incredible. And again, my mom walked me through that process as we figured that out. She just was always there for me through thick and thin. Uh, 
It was one of those things that Ritalin was very helpful. It sort of changed everything. I went from like a low C student to being able to achieve kind of high Bs and As. And it was starting to grind against some insecurities that I'd had for so long that I was dumb, that I didn't have a great mind, or that school just really wasn't for me. I just wasn't an intellectual. I was better with people, uh, something I would still sort of tell you today to some degree. But these insecurities plagued me, but my mom continued to advocate for me. It was in my early 30s, I was sitting in a counselor's office as Jamie and I were doing some marriage restoration. And a woman who, who was, uh, we were sitting with at the time, her name was Karen, she's a great counselor, she lives in Budapest now. But she looked at me and she said, Rustin, uh, can I kinda submit something to you? And I said, sure. She said, do you know what Ritalin is also used for? What it's used to treat? I said, no, I, I don't. And she said, uh, and it still affects me to this day, but she looked at me and she said, PTSD, Rustin. Ritalin is used to help sort of quiet some of those scary noises that you've described as a child and maybe even still continue into your life. It's used to treat PTSD. I'd submit to you today that the Lord kind of was with you in that journey and you accidentally ended up on a medication that helped you with undiagnosed PTSD from childhood sexual abuse and you kind of walked it out. I was five years old again in that moment, even though I was a grown man in my 30s with a wife and a life. <laughs> and I sat there and I cried and I, I, I couldn't help but say something that I think that scared little five-year-old in me was still thinking that day. Do you mean to tell me that I've always had a good mind? Do you mean to tell me that I wasn't stupid? She sat back and she said, no, Rustin. I think you were just a young man who was having this undiagnosed thing roaming around inside you and it was plaguing you but it led to some insecurities that I think the Lord wants to restore. You know, as we sit back, I think it's so easy for us to allow the brokenness of the world, regardless of what those brokennesses look like, and to, to leave them unrestored. But God, just like my mom, who reflected Jesus to me so well for all those years, uh, for 25 years, uh, I, I had this thing roaming around inside me. Still to this day, the Lord finds little pieces and continues to bring me home from something that wasn't my fault. I never asked for that. And yet, it was something that I was dealing with in a very real way. It, that's the kind of parent that God is. And as we look at this story in 2 Samuel, we see that God is exactly like that. David is a little bit of a lost cause at this point in the story that we're gonna pick up today. He's committed these egregious sins with Bathsheba and then on top of it with Uriah, like we talked about last week, a life run entirely on his own power and authority and sitting back and trying to manipulate and yet what ends up happening that is so powerful is God continues to be by his side and by his side and by his side. Uh, we're gonna look at that today as we take a, a look at this process of the Lord being alongside David in this next step on our restoration journey. Like I said before, where we go from the idea of in repentance turning and just wanting more out of our faith-filled walks to this place where we actually walk in to more. We walk out our repentance in restoration. So before we dive into our text, if you would, because these are deep waters and this passage has some very weighty matters in it, would you just bow your heads wherever you are today and uh, let's pray. Father, I do, I just ask that you would be with each and every one of us as we walk into this narrative that you have with your son, David. Uh, he's been through so much already. He's put many others through so much. And so to sit back even now, maybe with apprehension as we step in to go, where are we going uh, with this passage and with this story, would you be with all of us? Would you help us? Just like we asked last week, would you help us see David? 
as you see David, and Lord, would you give us eyes to see ourselves as you see us, in a constant state of being loved and being restored. We pray this in your precious name, amen. All right, so let's do this. Let's go ahead and dive in. We're gonna be in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're gonna throw it up here on the screen. We've pivoted off of verse 13 quite a bit. And that's where Kevin started us, kind of ended that little uh, sermon where he talked about, hey, we've got this conviction moment, and it's where David and Nathan are wrapping things up. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, and Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. Okay, so that's sort of where he leaves it. And then we start in 14 today, because this is important. Nevertheless, it's always one of those but. Because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan, Nathan went to his house, sort of delivers the bad news, and then he's gonna move on. And it says this, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. It wasn't David's wife. It was Uriah's wife who he killed. And now this child has been born, and it says that the child became sick. David is, is sitting back, and what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at two things in our time here in this amazing story. We're gonna look at the fact that two things start to happen, and I want you to notice, David's worst nightmare is about to occur. His sin is now going to affect another human being, and the Lord's allowing that. So he sort of says, hey, here's the deal. This is gonna unfold. Nathan delivers the bad news, and it starts to sort of get walked out from there. But I wanna focus on two things, and this is always going on in our own lives. We're going to look at the natural Okay, which is going on around David. It's the circumstances, but alongside it, in perfect parallel, we're gonna track the supernatural today. So the things that are happening, earthly, material, they can be seen and observed with the five senses, as well as the things that are going on internally for David that are supernatural, part of his and the Lord's journey. And those two things are gonna work together as we walk this out. But 16 through 19 are where things really get difficult. Let's take a look at them here today. It's a big text, so I'll kind of walk us through it. It says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do harm to himself. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead, and David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So this is it. The chips are down yet again in David's life. This is much like what Kevin taught us a few weeks ago. It's that moment where he is, oh my gosh, the horrible has happened. You are that man. It is a revelatory moment, and now David is having a natural experience where he's sitting there, and the chips are down, and what I want you to see is that David, in the midst of this moment with a sick child, is still with the Lord. The chips are down, things are difficult, and he is sitting there beseeching the Lord, going, come, come with me. Don't leave me. Let's walk through this together. And I want us to see today as we pop forward thousands of years to our 2020 reality as modern Christians, how difficult this is for us to do what David is doing. It's a new layer of our rewards mentality with God. We operate really well with the do good, get good, do bad, get bad, 
mentality. And here's what it looks like this week, because last week it was, if I'm doing good, me and God can be in relationship. If I'm doing bad, then I need to run. That was last week, and we talked about how we can kind of get into the Garden of Eden all over again. Me and God aren't doing well, I'm going to hide. Here's what it looks like this week. It's the vending machine God, where we come in and we're basically sitting back and saying, if I'm doing God's will, things will flow perfectly. If things are hard, then it's because I'm not in God's will. Now, when I say it that plainly, we go, no, that's not really what I believe. Believe me when I tell you, we operate this way far more often than we think. The reality is, it sets us up for a total miss in our journeys with God. Here's what's totally true, and I wanna mix this in to the vending machine mentality that we go to sometimes. John 16, says this. It says, I have said these things to you, this is Jesus talking right before the end of his life. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. How is it that in one statement Jesus is telling us in the world it's gonna be hard but I've overcome the world? Okay, well if I follow the process out then in the world it shouldn't be hard anymore because you've overcome it. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying I have, in me you would have peace. If you stay in me, then you can experience tribulation and still have peace. That doesn't fit the mentality that we run to so many times, where we sit back and we go, no, 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 Rustin, and this, I get this all the time. People will show up and we'll sit there in my office and we'll talk through a difficult season and they're like, Rustin, I mean, I quit the job that I knew God didn't want me in anymore and I got a new job and, and then I started down this road and everything was going great and then I lost my new job. What did I do wrong? And that's when I give the most common pastoral advice that I give out, and I say this often, but I can't say it enough. This thing may not be hard because you're doing it wrong. It may just be hard because it's hard. Sometimes when we do hard things, they're hard. It's not because you're doing it wrong. It's just a hard thing. When we do hard things, it's challenging. It's struggle. It's tribulation, and yet what we're asked for is to have peace. Some of these circumstances are things that are outside of our control. Some of them, like David in this scenario, it's just our sin and it has consequences. Take a look at this. I've tried to create a visual that I think could be helpful. It's my little graph that I've shown is growth with Christ. And down here it says season start. It's pretty small so you probably can't see it. And over there it says season end. We're talking about a restoration season. And what everybody either uh, willingly or like kind of just in some sort of a, I think, hopeful utopian life, they all think that the road is gonna be this little dotted line. It's straight. Every single day that I'm in God's will and I'm doing what he asked me, it's gonna get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And, and, and that's it because I'm doing God's will. And what I tell them is restoration's a little bit like the stock market. You may come out of the gates hot you may even have one of those great kind of camp high experiences where you kind of popped up and things got good. But typically what happens is we start to lapse into an old pattern, we experience more of the tribulation of the world or we just fall into something and we experience a fall. And, and down here it's the Lord, keep going, keep going, keep going. But we, we come down here and here's the deal. This is not where people come to my office, neither is this. But about the time where this one hits, where they're sitting there going, oh, gosh, I just don't get it, is where I sit back and I have to walk people through, this is what restoration looks like. It's ups and downs. 
The dotted line's real, it's just the overall trajectory, it's not your actual experience. And people will sit back and they'll tell me this story, Rustin, I was doing so great two weeks ago. It was awesome. And I was clipping and riding high and circumstances were great, but then, now I'm back here. And this is what they say, I've been here before. I've struggled like this, I've been in this exact same spot. And they tell me about where they were, and they tell me about where they are. And you know what I have to tell them? Uh, I know where you are, but you know what? You would have praised God for that place when you started this journey six months ago. You see, you're not where you started. The Lord has done a great work in your life and he's going to continue to walk it all the way out. And you've done some ups and downs and my question to you is, when the chips are down, are you like David? Are you sitting there and clinging to God and saying, be gracious with me, continue to walk this out? Like we talked about last week, keep me in the fire until the work is all the way completed. I don't just want good circumstances, I want a changed and completed heart that can walk through these things and in the midst of the tribulations, in the midst of the drops, continue to find your peace. Because this is what restoration actually is. It's ups and downs. It's courageous Christians in the midst of fear like Allie talked about in our worship time today where she sat back and said, can we lay all of our fears at the feet of the Lord? Can we courageously go after God because he will meet us in the midst of the journey. We do the ups and we do the downs because restoration isn't as simple as a dotted line constantly moving upward. The human experience is broken and tumultuous, filled with tribulation. David knows this well and that's why he's laying there in the midst of everything that's going on. Let's take a look at what verse 20 looks like because we're about to see a little bit of an unexpected move as David steps into the next phase of this journey. It says this, then David arose. Remember, he's just been told that his child has passed. So we know what the servants are expecting. David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. What? This is not what anybody was expecting to happen next. But here's what's happened, and let's tie this back into where we started. We're gonna look at two things today, the natural and the supernatural. The natural has run its course, and it's kinda time to see what work the Lord has been doing on the supernatural area, see? Because this is one of the things I want you to know today. It's this place where our reality when it comes to restoration is that God invites us to be with him in the midst of the natural, but in a supernatural way. It's exactly what John 16, says. Listen, you're gonna be in the world. You're gonna be in the natural, but in me you will have peace. What David is about to demonstrate to a baffled, I mean completely confused room full of servants and elders from his house is supernatural work. You know, basically put, there's this reality that when the worst possible natural circumstances occur, we sit back and we show the world around us what God has done in supernatural places, in our hearts. Places where we sit back and we go, this is really the only place that God transacts and then we start to show the world something extraordinary. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. It's a calm in the midst of the storm. 
I just wanna submit, this is likely some of the most difficult and challenging work of our Christian lives. I have good friends who, you know, more than I wanna talk about, I'd even say many good friends who've lost a child. I can't imagine what that loss would be like, but they don't have to imagine it. It's part of their human experience. I've got some good friends who lost a child uh, early on, and, and they sat back and uh, they've walked that road out extremely transparently. They've done my stories here. They've, just, they've, they've done an incredible job of really clinging to the Lord in the midst of a natural hurricane, but with supernatural peace. Uh, Kevin and I, last summer, we preached through the Sermon on the Mount, and this, uh, some friends of theirs, so this couple, had some friends, and they came and they listened to the series. And they'd been coming for a little while. They, they didn't necessarily know the Lord, they didn't have a relationship with him, but they'd been coming for a little bit. And we, we sat through last summer, and it really got their attention. There was some stuff that connected for them, and so I ended up at lunch with the husband. As the two of us started to exchange at this lunch, I just said, you know, hey, you didn't necessarily grow up in church. All of this is foreign to you. You're probably a little overwhelmed. What kind of got you here? And he said, well, I watched how this family dealt with the tragedy of losing their daughter, and I'd never seen anything like it. They had something. It was a hope. It, it was a future. It was something that I just couldn't, I couldn't let go of. I was so mesmerized by what they did and the way they dealt with that. I'm gonna talk about something beautiful. Uh, this husband and his wife ended up at a dinner with this couple who had so faithfully shown the beauty of what it looks like to not just mourn, but in the midst of their mourning, in the midst of their loss, to have hope for a future and a glory that was imperishable, that was unfading. And, and they sat there and they got to pray with this other couple who had just started to come to church with no background and that couple got to accept Christ. Why? Because they had seen Christ in the way that this couple dealt with tragedy, with a tribulation fraught world that they then got to see a supernatural peace in. I'll give you one more example. It's a good friend of mine. I'm very close. I'm in a men's group with him. And as I sit back, uh, I, I watched him go through about an 18-month journey with his wife, who's diagnosed with cancer. And after 18 months, she passed. I got to officiate the funeral. Uh, she was one of the most godly women I'd ever been around. Uh, just a continuous encouragement to me. But as I watched him walk this out, our men's group sat with him, I don't know, six months after this had all happened. And somebody asked the million dollar question, how do you reconcile 18 months of pleading with God to spare her life, losing her, and then sitting with the Lord and, and kind of tying that all together? How'd you reconcile all of it? This is what he said to us, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said this. I always prayed that God would heal her and preserve her life, but I ended every prayer with, but I trust and accept your will for this circumstance. Wow, it's your wife, this is your life partner, this is who you're gonna kinda spend the rest of your days with, and his plan that he had had for him and his wife was going to change. He had pleaded with God to preserve her life, and what I feel like is so profound is as, it's as if the Lord looked at him and said this, I have preserved her life for me and for you. It's an eternal preservation. 
It's something that you are sitting back right now and if we look at our lives this way with an eternal perspective, we are constantly the beneficiaries of what is most glorifying for God. I have preserved her life for me and for you. But you need to have hope in something far grander than what's going on. You see, this is where the world's exclusively natural order is screaming at anyone who is hurting and asking them to stay in mourning and to abandon all hope. And instead, we as believers who have been brought into something far grander and far greater in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we get to stand and say something that the world has no category for because it's not natural, it's supernatural. We can stand in the midst of the tribulation and say, it is well with my soul. It's well with my soul. This child that was lost, it is well with my soul. This wife who is no longer with me to walk the rest of our days out, like I'd had a picture in my head, it is well with my soul. And it's not that we don't mourn and it's not that we don't weep, it's that we keep everything in perspective as we walk these dark paths of this temporary and earthly existence. We keep our hope where it cannot be touched by the corrosion of an earthly life. The New Testament puts it so well in 1 Peter 1, it looks like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. To what kind of hope? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept not here on earth, but kept in heaven for you. For by God's power and being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed to you in the last time. You see, that's what David is clinging to. That's what my friends who lost a child, all of them are clinging to. It's not the here and now, it's not the earthly. To be honest, gang, this is what the world is looking for. It's not perfect behavior. The world isn't sitting around, and so many times we try and either whitewash the church or its activities to present perfect behavior, which the world isn't looking for. What the world is looking for is a perfect savior in the midst of the world's imperfections. It's a place where we stand and we say, I don't have this figured out. But what I've got is something radically different. It's in the midst of imperfections, like losing a child. That couple didn't come in and say they did it perfect. What did they say? While they were a mess, while they were imperfected, it was as if their eyes were drawn to something greater. Don't tell me how to have perfect behavior. Tell me about what your eyes are fixated on. I wanna know about that. I wanna know about a hope that can't perish, even in the midst of a lost child or a lost wife. It's undefiled even though this world is mutilated and messy. It is unfading. And David sits in the midst of this moment where his, his servants and his elders are saying, dude, this is gonna get so bad. He's figured it out. The child has died. David does something crazy. He goes to worship. He goes to do different things than everyone expects. So let's take a look at verse 21 as we step into this. Uh, verse 21 starts with this. Then the servants said to him, so the, the big moment of like, what's going on? Somebody finally asked the million dollar question just like we did to my friend that day in that room. The servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food? 
he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Here's the reality, and I want us to focus in on the servants and the elders in this narrative. They are sitting back, and they are completely baffled, and here's why. Because the supernatural will always be confusing to a world that only understands the natural. David's servants only saw one trajectory for what happens next, it's this. While the child was alive, the guy was wrecked and headed in a bad direction. Now that it's gone from bad to worse, he will go from bad to worse. That's the only category they have. It's a downward trajectory for David. And what I want you to look at is a quote I found in this commentary this week that I was kind of studying in. And it says this, let's take a look at it. It says, David's reaction to the death of his child is an act of profound faith in the face of the most precious tabus of his people. David has discerned for whatever reasons that the issues of his life are not to be found in cringing fear, but the uh, fear before the powers of death, but in his ability to embrace and abandon, to love and to leave, to take life as it comes, not with indifference, but with freedom, not with callousness, but with buoyancy. It would go on later to say in that same commentary, though David was bereft, he was content. This is astounding to David's servants. Because what they're expecting, that word tabus in here is so great. It comes from the word taboo, and what it's basically describing is within the cultural norms of what's going on for Israel at the time, what David's servants are expecting is this. Death was a sacred thing. To treat it the way David was treating it was taboo. So in the midst of this tabus that's being experienced, his servants are going, what are you doing? Because what they're expecting is this, a Mordecai or a Job. Remember Mordecai from our Esther series recently, he goes out and he is just bereft, completely broken at the city gates. And people are looking at him going, what's going on? Here's what's going on. The Israelites had this amazing process and here's what it was designed to do, sackcloth and ashes. When you were mourning, it was their way of reconciling my internal condition feels like A, So I'm going to make the external A as well. I'm gonna sync them up. The equation will balance. So we still do this. Do you guys notice that? If you ever get sad or depressed or God forbid you lose a loved one, which we know is gonna happen, we get in our sweatpants. We don't shower, brush our teeth. We don't shave. Our hair's a mess. Why? Because it doesn't feel right to get all cleaned up, to anoint our heads to put on clean clothes. We have a way of sinking the inner and the outer and what David is doing in the midst of this moment is he's showing the caretakers in his home something profound. He's showing them what the Lord has been doing behind the scenes. Here's what the natural has done and David's going, let me show you something supernatural. I'm gonna clean myself up. I'm going to anoint my head. The morning time has happened already because the Lord has prepared my heart. And in the midst of this profound act of faith, David is sitting back and saying, the Lord does something where only the Lord can go to a supernatural place. This was actually foreshadowed last week in Psalm 51. Let's take a look at verse six. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being 
and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You teach me wisdom in a supernatural place, in my spiritual being. God's been doing work that is taking David to a place that the world doesn't understand. You see, because of the supernatural work that God has done, David is saying, I will not fear death, but I will embrace you. I will not be indifferent, but be free in you. I will not be callous, but buoyant in your plans. David is saying, I'm bereft, but content. David is saying out loud to the world around him, it is well with my soul because I trust you, God. So as we wrap this up today, here's a little bit of what I wanna ask. Tough questions, three of them. Do you trust the Lord? Well, of course I do, Rustin. I mean, I'm a Christian. You know, I, I go to church. Of course I trust the Lord. But do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord culturally right now? In the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of racial tensions, in the midst, midst of absolute political turmoil, do you trust the Lord? Is your hope in the next election or is it in the true king who's on the throne? Is it in this thing or that thing turning out this way or that way? Is it in the midst of a vaccine? Is it in the midst of all these things that may be good things based on your perception of how the world works or in the midst of the chaos, are you fixated on the heavenly throne saying it is well with my soul? The world, which we can say with utter surety right now, is a disaster and is in chaos. David's world was in chaos. And yet he sits back in the midst of tragic loss, not just chaos, but actual nightmare circumstances and says, yeah, I sought the Lord and it didn't go the way that I thought maybe it could. But instead, I'm gonna walk it out with him because when things are tough for me as David, I walk it out. I stick by the side of the Lord. Another question, will you submit to what God allows to happen on earth? You know, in the midst of that first question, we trust the Lord, it's not just cultural, it's personal. <laughs> it's uh, circumstances that are outside of our control and some of the sin that is. As we look at this next one, regardless of whether it's circumstances you can't control or your own sinful circumstances that have consequences to them, are you willing to submit to what God allows to happen here on earth? Let's tie back to my opening example. Gang, I didn't ask to be molested at five. It wasn't on my to-do list. But what happened? In the midst of it, and some of you, I, I know you can connect to this. You may be at different spots in this journey that I've had to walk a lot of. But in the midst of this horrible thing that happened to a five-year-old kid, I had to walk the circumstances out. And here's the reality. Some of it was out of my control. Some of it were my sinful reactions to an injustice and I just want to encourage those of us who've experienced this, part of this, I gotta to give to God and go, Lord, I, I can't change those circumstances. The other parts of this, which you guys have heard my testimony, it's a litany of bad choices. Much of that I sat back and felt entitled to at times. Why? Well, something bad happened to me. So God sort of overlooks these things. I would have never said it that way. 
but my heart was so stuck and so traumatized from some of these other things that I just sort of started to walk out sinful behavior. At some point in my life, God sat down and went, hey bro, listen, I love you and this was horrible. This is part of that fallen world that someday I will stand in judgment over and will right all the wrongs. But for now, we gotta deal with your broken heart in the midst of it. And I had never really synced those two things up. I just sat back in a world that went, you know, it's whatever. Do I trust what God allows? Do I release the right to understand why the brokenness of somebody else's life impacted my own? Am I willing to release that to God and say, it is well with my soul? Because here's what he does. He takes the brokenness of the world and he takes those broken people and he turns messes into masterpieces as we get to sit down and say things to people that no one else can say. When someone shows up in front of me and goes, hey, this is kind of what happened. I can sit down and tell them exactly what I just told you. This is a horrible tragedy that should never have occurred. And I know how you feel. I'm so sorry that the brokenness of someone else's life, that someone else's sin got dumped onto your plate, that the world's fallenness has completely left you broken. But God is so good to restore his kids from the tragedies of a fallen world. I can tell you, God is good and he's good in this area, even though your circumstances and the trauma that's flowed out of it isn't. God is good. You know, as we sit back and walk through this last question, it's a tough one, but can we walk with God when he makes us angry? I know that some of you watching today, you may have left church maybe decades ago, years ago. I certainly spent a decade plus just running from the Lord, completely disconnected from a church body. And I always tell people, be careful what you do. I walked back into church after running for about a decade, and now I'm here doing this, so be careful what you ask for. But as I walked it out with the Lord, I was very angry for years. And then I came to a point where I had a simple but profound revelation. I'm not very good at restoring my heart. All my attempts to justify, to reconcile, I, I was like David in the midst of his brokenness, just trying to create and, and kind of overlap and kind of justify all the things that I was doing and the things that had happened. And I eventually got to a point where just like David, I just threw my hands up and went, I'm not good at restoring my heart. You know why? I was never meant to. God didn't set it up so that we could self-restore. He said, listen, when the tribulation of the world comes in, you need to come to me for peace, not self-peace. Don't create your own peace, that won't work. We need something far more powerful. We needed a higher power, and what I want you to hear today is this. If you have been running from God because you're angry with him, I know exactly how you feel. I have been in that boat, and I wanna tell you today, he's good, and he is waiting with open arms and a loving plan to restore you from the brokenness that the world may have dumped onto your plate. I have walked this restoration road for some time now and I just wanna tell you, he is good to come back and to restore the years that the locusts have eaten, which is how the Bible puts it. I wanna conclude with this. You know, we kinda had this process that we've walked out for the last couple of weeks and we've looked at what it looks like to have this revelation, oh my gosh, I'm broken, I'm sinful, or I'm basically, I'm not restoring my soul well and we go, God, I need you. And then there's this moment, like we talked about last week, where we kind of repent and we turn from it, and now we're kind of talking about this idea of not just submitting to the will of the master, knowing that we want more, but this idea of walking more out. And what I wanna tell you today is that as we walk it out, it's gonna be a bumpy road. 
It will not be easy, but it will be worth it. And that is my encouragement to all of you who are sitting back today. The question I ask so many times is, what would it be like to be in the midst of the tribulation of the world? To know that you have a great heavenly parent, just like I talked about with my mom, who will never leave your side. I mean, my mom's a sweet woman, but she's the furthest thing from perfect. If this is how an imperfect child of God loves, imagine what God would be capable of. How well he can love us if we simply submit ourselves to him. I just wanna encourage you today, as we go to a time of response, are you willing to step into this process to allow God to walk you through so that you can get to a place, and this is where I wanna kinda leave us today, I'll pray into this in a second. Can you get to a place where in the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of the turmoil, you can actually look at God and say, I trust you, and it is well with my soul because in you I have what I need, both now and in the future. Let me do this, let me pray for us. God, as we walk this out, my encouragement today is just for each and every one of us who's listening, Lord, for my own heart that had to wrestle through this message all week, can you bring us to a place where we can truly sit back and we can see our circumstances as part of this temporary existence, as part of this place where we haven't truly fully succumb to the reality that our hope needs to be in heaven. Our hope needs to be held in an imperishable, unfading, undefiling place where you keep it for us and we keep our eyes fixated on you so that in the midst of all of the brokenness, in the midst of the calamity, you bring us with you and you actually minister to us in places that are otherworldly, we start to exemplify a hope that is otherworldly. It is supernatural and it shows a natural world. It's so evangelistic because it shows a natural world that there is more than this fading, perishing, defiled place that they're trying to whitewash and say, it's so good here. Or it could be so good. The good happens in momentary, but the great happens with you. So Lord, my prayer for all, some of the, those who have been invited back to church today to say, come, even though you're angry, let the Lord work with you. For those who have been wounded and experienced deep injustice in all sorts of places, whether it's cultural in the midst of this moment and so many prior, whether it's personal in the midst of injustice and brokenness, would you bring them to an understanding and a deep place where they feel reconciled and being restored in you? Lord, we love you. We say this in your name, amen.